0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of My Friend Podcast with me, Paige Elkington. Um, Sorry I took two weeks off. Uh, Maybe you didn't notice. I don't know. But I did. It was just some scheduling issues, but now we are back on track. And today's episode is so crazy interesting. Um, I have my friend Brooke on and she's known as Everyday Expert on Instagram and she's just had the most insane Lyme disease journey. And her story is absolutely worth listening to. And she is just doing like life-changing work with bee venom therapy. And the whole thing is just, it's going to blow your mind. So listen to the whole thing, the entire episode, and please share it. I I feel like if you share any of my episodes, let it be this one. And please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff, because it really helps me out. And, um, oh, yeah, if you're an advertiser with a comp- or with a product, uh, hit me up because I want to advertise your product or your brand or whatever the heck you do right now, right here. So I um, hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Um, because that's a thing you have to do. Okay. We're, we're good to go. Awesome. This is heavy. It is. So this is new. These mics are new for me. Awesome. Yeah, but it feels a little more professional. It does. Yeah. Okay, so um, welcome to the third, fourth episode of My Friend Podcast with me, Paige Elkington. Today I have my virtual friend and now real life friend, Brooke, um, with us. She is known as Everyday Expert on Instagram. You should go ahead and follow her because she's a wealth of knowledge um, she is a Lyme disease. Is it Lyme or limes? Lyme, just Lyme. Okay, I don't know why I constantly say limes. Be, many doctors actually say limes too. It drives everyone <laughs> up the wall. Yeah. Okay. So, you heard it here first. Lyme disease survivor and she's also somewhat of an expert when it comes to chronic illness and autoimmune diseases.
1: Yes. Okay, cool. Thanks for having me, Paige. I'm so excited. I've been a virtual fan from afar for like ever. I I know. Same. I know. And this is the great thing
0: about having a podcast, guys. It's like you get to like... We now have an excuse to meet. Yeah, exactly. Let's just jump straight into your story. Like what put you on this path to start living the lifestyle and doing the work that you do now.
1: So I was a hard-charging New Yorker, running magazines, always in media. Um, And uh, about eight years ago, Mm -hmm. I started working half in London, half in New York, and traveling constantly, at least back and forth, you know, two times a month. Very chic. Very chic. And (laughs) I love both cities, but um, I started passing out uncontrollably, having night sweats, you know where I'd soak through the bed and have to change my pajamas and sheets three times a night, um, and have these horrible migraines and neck pain that literally would sometimes cause me to go blind. I went to multiple neurologists, um, doctors, both in London, the top London doctors, top New York doctors. No one ever tested me for Lyme disease, even though they knew that I summered in the Hamptons, which is one of the most highest endemic places to get Lyme disease, and that I lived in New York City where. Lyme has been found in Central Park, totally. in Prospect Park. And you just because you don't leave the city doesn't mean that, you cannot, you, you know, that you're safe from Lyme disease. So um, I was never tested. And my symptoms, went, they, they ebbed and flowed, which I now know happens with Lyme. Mm-hmm. But um, it really didn't come into, into a head until I got bit again.
0: Wait, did, the first time you got bit, yes. did you have any
1: idea that you had, had Lyme? A, no. I went to a doctor. hmm um and how I said, long was it that between... was about eight years ago so be- between two bites it was three years in okay. those three years i started having these crazy symptoms, symptoms but they would ebb and flow they go away they come back they go away they come except back except i started getting melanoma cancer like out of the sky blue again and again and i kept catching it but i knew deeply that i was like there's something wrong with my immune system, system. Sure, But I was still, quote, high functioning. I still was running magazines and running around town and throwing events. And so, you know, the doctors just kept shaking their heads and being like, you just need to, you know, work less, drink less. And, you know, I would go on these, quote, cleanses, Mm -hmm. cut out gluten, cut out dairy, you know, detox a lot. And now I know that that was helping me and that would cause my symptoms to dissipate.
0: But I then see.
1: I would get stressed out again, and they come back. But again, no one ever bothered testing me. And when I first got bit, I took uh, I, I called the local doctor, um, who should have been an expert on you know tick borne illness because it was in the Hamptons, and he right. said, "Oh, as long as the tick wasn't in you for more than twenty four hours, you are fine. And as long as you don't have a rash, you are fine." I didn't know at the time that actually less than thirty percent of the people, on average, create this rash is called the bullseye rash uh-huh. and also that the bullseye rash doesn't have to happen at the site of the, of the bite. It can happen a week later, like on your back. So unless oh. you are checking your body continually, what does that look like? The bullseye rash? It can look just like a target, you know, as like an archery target of a, of a rash that, you know, is circular and emanates from the t- site, or it can look like just a circular rash anywhere, like as if you bruised yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that obvious. Um, and so I got when I got bit again, I knew more about Lyme disease. I had known people who had, you know, had their lives, you know, stolen by this disease. And so I was very cognizant I needed to get myself checked, get on antibiotics immediately. I went to the doctor. By that time, you know, they were the doctor I went to was more knowledgeable. And he's like, Yep, we're gonna put you on antibiotics for the first 30 days. The day I got bit again was the day in which I Worked all day in New York City, drove out to the Hamptons on my own, like four hours, loaded the car, then played two games of doubles tennis, then threw a dinner party and then ended up at Sunset Beach dancing on the tables until like 2 a.m. Oh
0: so when I say,
1: yeah, I lived, I lived hard. She lived it up. Yeah. But my energy was that I was still that functional, even though I had this insidious disease in me. I could yeah. still function at a high level. Uh-huh. However, I was having massive panic attacks by that time, which I never had, anxiety, insomnia, just all of these small issues. But of course you can always say, well that's just hard work. I'm just working too hard. I'm just stressed. And then when I got bit again that morning I woke up after you know parting all night and having a great time. And I woke up and found the tick, called the doctor. He put me on On your body, on my body, called the doctor. He put me on antibiotics and, um, I started feeling horrible the next day, like Mm -hmm. sick and feverish. And I was like, oh, you must be the the lung. I did not because I didn't know you could. And one thing that everyone who's listening should know is that if you get bit, do not flush the tick, do not throw the tick away. There are Save free. Save that
0: dang tick.
1: There are free organizations you, where you can send the tick, or you can also pay about seventy dollars to send the tick in. There's like something called TickReport.com, TickCheck.com, mm-hmm. and they basically process the tick. And mm-hmm. so they process it in a way that it's like within seventy two hours. You know, in a safe those within those seventy two hours, if, as long as you get on antibiotics, you will be safe. So it prevents people from going on prophylactic antibiotics, ruining their microbiome for no reason. But also, it's not just Lyme disease. It's that these ticks can carry up to, you know, 14 other co-infections and viruses. And so if you don't hit the viruses as well, you could be, or or parasites too, Um, you could be getting yourself into major damage with your immune system, Mm -hmm. even though you still took antibiotics. So. And it's very important to, t- to check Do it as tick. soon as possible. Yes. And to check it. I mean, just right. the minute you you take the tick off, you put it in a plastic bag, send you send it, it, it off, and you FedEx it. And then in 72 hours, you're like, yep, I'm clean and clear. Um, and it works. It's pretty amazing. So I didn't know to save the tick. And I wish I had because mm-hmm. um, I basically, I never went back to work. I never cleaned out my, my work desk. I never even said goodbye to work because I always thought it can't get that bad. I'm going to get better. Sure. Um, I had no idea that the tick that bit me not only had Lyme disease, but it also had babesiosis and Bartonella. I have no idea what those are. So babesiosis is a malarial type parasite that can come with Lyme disease and it works and they call it, you know, malarial like because it basically destroys your red blood cells.
0: So I was never
1: tested for it until three months in. So I started basically getting to a point where I was dying. Um, I literally had very, very few red blood cells left. At this point, did you know you had Lyme? Um, I knew something was up because from the moment I got bit, again, the moment I went on antibiotics, I never felt better. I only felt worse. I had no idea at the time that I felt worse and the doctors were not able to explain something called a Herx reaction. Mm -hmm. So a Herx reaction is a term for a Gerrish Herxheimer reaction. And what that means is that when bacteria or viruses die off, they release endotoxins. It's the same way. Think about that when you have flowers in a vase and they die and they start to smell. Sure. They're releasing, you know, molecules of Mm -hmm. decay. These organisms, these bacteria for Lyme or these co-infections are living organisms in your body. When they die off, they release endotoxins that literally poison your body. No one told me I needed to. But isn't it good when they die off or no? Of course it's good. But if you don't know what's happening and you're taking massive doses of antibiotics and you're not told to detox, you're not told to support your liver and kidney function, you are making yourself incredibly sick. I see. So I actually lost functionality The minute I started taking those antibiotics- Because while these were dying off, you are getting hit with this other reaction. Yeah, and I had no idea. I was riddled with- Why would you? Or I mean-
0: I mean, now looking- Now looking
1: back, yeah. So it took me about three months from that second bite to finally find a really, really knowledgeable Lyme disease literate doctor in New York who then tested me for the co-infections. And then tested me for Lyme as well, even though I had been on antibiotics for it. All the other doctors in New York during this time, um, I mean, I was literally barely able to walk. I started losing functionality. I started getting lost two blocks from my house. It almost felt like early dementia, Alzheimer's. In terms of the neuroinflammation, it was insane. Um, Every day I woke up thinking I was going to die. And doctors just kept saying to me, you know, you you're depressed. You need antidepressants. I mean, they just had no idea. They were just throwing stuff out. They right. wanted to put me on massive autoimmune medications. And I said, look, I got bit by a tick. And they're like, oh, but you went on 30 days of antibiotics. So you, you should be ha- fine. You should be fine. So it finally took three months to find a Lyme litter a doctor who retested me, found that I had markers for a former Lyme infection, but still a current Lyme infection. And he was able to explain to me... 30 days of antibiotics don't work if you're already sick with Lyme. Sure. It only works if you've never been sick and you hit it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he tested me for these So if you
0: If you get Lyme and then you hit it with the antibiotics immediately, immediately
1: does, does it just kill it off? It should because the way antibiotics work and antivirals is that they work as suppressives. What that means is that they suppress the infection, um, hoping that your immune system is strong enough to overtake and kill off the rest. Ah, oh, okay, cool. We'll get into that because B venom is the opposite. B venom isn't a suppressive, it makes infections acute.
0: Okay, let's and get into that. That's the key. Yeah. All right, well, so continue your story. These
1: suppressives don't work when your immune system's already shot. Got it. And I should have known my immune system was shot because of the fact I was getting multiple melanoma cancer, you know, over Wild. the since I got the first tick bite with, throughout those three years. Um, and it wasn't until I started treating for Lyme disease and got rid of it did I stop having melanoma. Wow. Yeah. And now I've had no incident of it since. And I don't, I don't plan to because it's so, you know, it's so um, connected to your immune system. Sure. Yeah. Why
0: is there so little, why are so many doctors Lyme like?
1: Lyme idiotic? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the problem is, is that in a way it's a modern disease. Sure. And I think that within our medical system, doctors are taught a system of thought that if they're not taught it, it doesn't exist. Sure. And, and to actually ignore what they're not taught. But doctors should be
0: seeing all these articles coming up because like tick born diseases
1: are exponentially on the rise. Um, but there is a deep state conspiracy out there uh against post-treatment Lyme disease. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, uh-huh. but there have been a remarkable... As Lyme numbers, CDC-approved Lyme numbers, have risen. As we know, there are some populations on the East Coast, in other places, in which Lyme has... Tick, ticks and Lyme have risen 600% in some areas in five years. Oh, gosh. And with that said, there are multiple articles coming out in Washington Post, New York Times you know, major magazines that basically take these Lyme, these doctors that are Lyme deniers. There's only a few out there, but they seem to have the biggest voice and take a very, very skewed perception of the testing of, it really is because the testing is so inadequate and then they use inadequate testing. So what's the problem
0: with like current lab testing and why did you, I know that you've posted about how you had to take it into your, you know, you had to take control over your own testing and learn how to read the test. And that's like one of the essential parts of your process to finding out what was wrong with you. Well, we have
1: to look at the numbers of post-treatment Lyme disease. So we know so far, and this is scientifically proven, that at least 20% of the population will not have antibiotics work. They literally, and there's no herbal protocols out there, any antibiotics. We know this. It's approved by the CDC. This is not a... You know, this is not a statistic that's up for, you know, um, for, up for doubt. However, Yale University, two years ago, about a year and a half ago, started doing the numbers of the rise in Lyme and tick-borne illness um, documented mm-hmm. with the people that have had Lyme disease in the last 10 years. And the numbers that they came up with of that 20% is that by 2020, next year, there'll be 1.9 million people in America with post-treatment Lyme disease. Wow. That, that is not 1 million. That is 1.9 million. That's crazy. This is Yale working off of CDC data. Wow. So this is undeniable. Yeah. With that said, you have all this denying out there. Sure. Well, you also have health insurance companies. If they were to admit... That there was 1.9 million people in America that required constant care, mm-hmm. holistic modalities, and basically, you know, if they acknowledged that all these people were as sick as they are... That's money out of their pocket. That would be billions and billions and billions of dollars. So I have no doubt that the most vocal Lyme deniers out there and the journalists that cover them are have, being have been lobbied by the health insurance industry. There is totally no doubt in my bad. mind. Yeah, I totally believe that. So why? I think that's where the problem is. And then secondly, it's a lack of education within just the medical system. But so I just know, because I've, you know, I've had a, a lot of
0: friends personally get Lyme disease recently, and then some of them had to be tested multiple times, and they were negative, and then they were positive. And I'm just wondering, what, what's the discrepancy there? Why, so, why does Yeah, it... the testing's
1: really horrible. So there's the two tests that your insurance will pay for. are called Western Blot and Alyssa. They're both looking for antibodies. This is the problem. Not everybody's body makes (laughs) antibodies. Everybody's body (laughs) (laughs) makes antibodies. (laughs) You can can make a rap out of that. Yeah, Um, I probably will. I hope so. And uh, secondly, um, the problem is the sicker you are, the less your immune system has the energy to make the antibodies, the less likely you are to show up. So the sicker you are, the less likely you are to show a positive result with a Lyme test. What the heck! Isn't that a horrible irony? <laughs> That's a horrible, horrible yes. thing. I hate that. So there is private testing that uses more sensitive equipment, okay. um, but it's much more expensive. So in you know a regular Lyme test through Quest or LabCorp would cost the insurance company around let's say one hundred and fifty to maybe three hundred dollars, depending on the state. Um, an expensive private test that has a better sensitivity um, will cost about 1400 Insurance companies don't want to pay for it. Yeah. So it's better to deny, 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 and then not test people. Because the more that people are not adequately tested, the more that then, get this, they develop autoimmune diseases, which then the pharmaceutical companies can then start cashing in, in on. Cashing in on, exactly. So it becomes uh. a domino effect of insurance companies prescription drug companies all working together to deny Lyme disease. And if you don't think that that's Humanity. true, you just have to dig it in a little. No, I, I mean, Which I'm is why totally I, on board. I feel that in the future I will be a big threat to, to these industries. And um, you will. I'm creating data to be able but, to counteract them.
0: Right. And that's what's so cool about you because you are so evidence-based. You're all about... The data, and I think that that's so. What's so incredible with this bee venom work you're doing is that like the proof is in the pudding. Like you, you're studying yourself and how it's affected you, and your you know and others and others, yeah. Um, and so yeah, let's get into that. So, what is bee venom therapy? What does bee venom do? Why does it cure um, Lyme disease and other autoimmune? The
1: the, the word cure,
0: okay. Why does it eradicate? (laughs) Sure. Why does it eradicate these autoimmune
1: diseases? Okay. So autoimmune, with the autoimmune and infections are different, but they play okay. into each other. So basically, in a nutshell, if you have a chronic infection, chronic Epstein-Barr virus, chronic Lyme disease, chronic herpes... Um, HIV.
0: Herpes and HIV. Because they're, they're
1: They're viral. Chronic, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. So oh, any type of bacteria or viral infection that is chronic, what it will do is that it can cause mast cells, which are these cells in your body that react to external factors or internal factors. So let's say you walk into, you know, you, you walk into a field of flowers mm-hmm. and there's tons of pollen and all of a sudden you start you know, sneezing and your eyes start to water, what's happening? It is your mast cells that are degranulating. They're basically releasing 200 chemicals that signal to your body to mount an inflammatory attack. This is really helpful. It's why we create scar tissue and why, you know, our body sends signals that if we get a cut, it seals up. Mast Mm -hmm. cells are absolutely important, but mast cells are turned on on this really, really low, basic level. (laughs) they're turned on on this really low basic level when you have a chronic infection. They're going, "Wait a second, we know there's a chronic infection, we need to mount an inflammatory response, but it's not at a level that you'd be, you know, necessarily crying or, you know, having hives. It is a systemic low-grade inflammation that takes over. Inflammation is what turns on autoimmune diseases. So we're all born genetically with a similar amount of autoimmune diseases. So, you know, someone in India to someone in Iceland would all have a similar amount of autoimmune mutations in their genetics. It would just be different types of mutations, right? Okay. So if you have chronic inflammation, Mm -hmm. those mutations, that inflammation has a propensity to turn on this autoimmunity that you're already born with. So So inflammation equals... Potential for autoimmunity. Got it. Yeah. So if you have certain autoimmune, you know, potentiality in your family for celiac or let's say IBS or psoriasis. Uh If you are chronically ill for a long time, this inflammation caused by these mast cells will turn it on. And that's why so many people with chronic infections like chronic EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, chronic herpes, chronic Lyme disease well, then all of a sudden start to have multiple domino effect of autoimmune diseases, just mounting, mounting, mounting. So interesting. Yeah. So that's why I'm very, very, um, uh, I, I guess my, my ability to be able to tell with complete strangers whether they probably have Lyme mm-hmm. is when I look at their symptoms and then I find out that they have three or four autoimmune diseases seemingly out of nowhere. You know, And then I, then I say, go get yourself, pay the money to get properly tested. tested through a lab like Igenics out of Palo Alto that has that sensitivity because mm-hmm. your insurance is not going to pay for it. Your doctor's not going to know how to do it. But if you don't get at that infection, this is only going to get worse. Right. And you could have 20 more autoimmune diseases if you don't stop this. At my worst, I had multiple autoimmune diseases. Now I only have a few left that... Basically, once you get them, you can't get rid of them, like celiac and pernicious anemia. But the rest I've been able to completely reverse because I've decreased inflammation through through getting at the infection.
0: Through bee venom? Yes. So so bee venom basically is just like, it's
1: an anti-inflammatory... Bee venom is a complex mixture. So bee venom, first of all, is from honeybees. Not Mm -hmm. mean bees, not yellow jackets that, you know- Why honeybees or- Honeybees have a special venom Mm -hmm. that um, is combined of all these uh, enzymes, amino acids, and peptides. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is called peptide 401. It is um, an anti-inflammatory peptide. It also degranulates these things called mast cells. Mm -hmm. So it helps support the inflammation in the body. Um, There's also another important one called melatonin. And melatonin is being studied for everything from um, HIV eradication to literally killing cancer cells. This is really exciting. Okay, but if you going. think about prescription medication in America, <gasps> mm-hmm. most of it is actually based off of natural elements. It's just been synthesized. Got it. Yeah. So when people go, oh, you know, that's holistic. Sure it is. But actually most medications you take are based off of natural natural elements. And then mm. they're, they're synthesized in labs got it to be patented so you can actually sell them because you right. cannot let's say sell bee venom but you could sell a synthesized aspect of bee Love venom oh. specifically targeted Do for Do you think that will happen? Absolutely. It's being there's many patents for bee venom right now. There's a patent for bee venom um, that's been shown to prevent HIV as a gel as a vaginal gel. It's that powerful. Wow. So yeah, it's um it's a known and well-researched antibacterial, antiviral, antiparasitical, antifungal. And anti-tumor, as well as anti-inflammatory.
0: So okay, let's get into this because it sounds like everyone could benefit from getting stung with because you get
1: stung. You take the bee; it's a live bee, and you sting yourself with it. Yes, and then it dies. So I mean, getting back to the you know to bee venom therapy, it's um, an ancient modality that has actually been used since pretty much the beginning of time, Mm -hmm. from Hippocrates to you know, Charlemagne, many kings and royalty to it's, um, it's actually considered in some circles to be the first type of acupuncture before they had needles. Um, so bees and bee medicine, apotherapy is what it's called, has been used for many, many years. So bees have bee venom, which we now know and is now being researched heavily into its incredible ability to be not be anti, to basically kill antibacterial resistant infections, um, kill viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can go into why it works so well, but back to this term melittin, it's a molecule in the bee venom that basically breaks open cell walls. Unhealthy cells, pathogenic bacteria, viruses have really weak cell walls, irregular mm-hmm. cell walls, healthy cells have strong ones. And so it works by basically getting at these unhealthy cell walls, breaking mm-hmm. them open, um, and it's it doesn't allow for bacterial resistance. So it's, it's pretty remarkable, um, but we use live bees because it's made out of these peptides, and peptides are notoriously very, very um, sensitive to disturbance. So, you know, if you were to take peptides, like human growth hormone, let's say, Mm -hmm. a lot of people take it for anti-aging. Yeah. It comes, you know, shipped very carefully. You can't even shake the bottle. It's all very, very sensitive. Peptides are just unstable molecules. Sure. So by using live bees, you're getting the most- Straight from the source. Straight from the source. Yeah. But it's been used for since, you know, the beginning of time and there's- now the research is finally catching up to it.
0: So, so how did you find out about bee venom therapy? And, and when you started stinging, like, when did you start to feel better? When were you like, holy shit, this,
1: this is working? Nearly immediately. Wow. Yeah. So I had, once I got sick, I basically fell apart. I lost my ability to read. I couldn't even take care of myself. I couldn't be um, trusted to You couldn't find- read? No. I lost my ability to read.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I couldn't be trusted to find my way around my neighborhood. I lived in in New York for ten years. I would get lost three blocks away. So and you were just deteriorating on at a, at every yeah level. I had no idea at the time that the Lyme had also turned on Epstein Barr virus, which you know most of us are exposed to mononucleosis at any age. I
0: literally don't know any of the words you're saying. I'm like, <laughs> what is she? Is this Klingon?
1: Well, you know, mono mononucleo. So we all we all are exposed to these viruses at young ages, we they ho- they are stored in our central nervous system whether they turn on or not is depending on infections or age. Mm. okay. Okay. So, for example, you know how old people get shingles? Sure. Yes. Yeah. I that's do just that. a form of chickenpox. <laughs> yeah. That's just been sat, sitting in their nervous system. Okay, it's been so dormant Ep- and exactly. then it's just been turned on. So, Epstein-Barr virus is a is another infection that can stay in your system and be dormant. Um, the medical medium loves to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: we don't like medical medium. We'll get into that in a little bit.
1: Exactly. But mostly what I see is that people with Lyme disease, if they've been exposed at all, it will come out of hiding with their Lyme. So not only is it Lyme, but then it's basically bringing out all, all of these other latent stuff. infections because your immune system sure. gets so screwed over.
0: So wait, wait, how did you find b venom therapy? Was there like another so I person really that sick. was
1: stinging? No, I was, I mean, yes and no. So I was really sick. I had basically gone down to Santa Fe to find um, a doctor who could help me. None of the doctors in New York were able to help me. I was on, when I say multiple, I was on IV antibiotics, oral antibiotics, IV antivirals, oral antivirals. Um, At one point, I was on 30 different prescriptions, and I was just getting sicker. I was ending up in the ICU of the hospital nearly every month. And yet I was single. I had no one to take care of me. And to tell you the truth, a lot of my friends were scared of me. They were scared of... You know, because Lyme disease is, you know, it's not even sexually transmitted in right. that way, right? I mean, there's some people talk but about people, that, but people were scared. It was just too they, much in their face. And they were like, if that could happen to my friend, who was the most high functioning person I know, this could happen to me. Right. And so I just was isolated and I knew oh. that I was going to die if I didn't have better support. So through a friend um, who had had chronic Lyme and had been this sick, she had said, you need to go to Santa Fe to see this doctor. I went to Santa Fe who was a, he was a more of a, he had like basically a chronic illness clinic and was put on even more IVs, but they were somewhat supportive and helpful. So I was put on ozone IVs and all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, And I was able to regain my ability to read. I was able to walk again. I was in a wheelchair before that, Um, but I was still shaky. I used a cane half the time. but I did regain. So let's say I lost all functionality to about 20%. I got back up to about 50. But you know, I was spending $10,000 a month just to keep this up. Oh During my, my first trip, she had introduced me to an older woman who had pioneered bee venom therapy. Um, I went to her house. I got stung once. I She never explained the science of it. Um, it, it, it just seemed very woo woo. And I was so sick that the last thing I wanted to do was go down any type of path that was unproven sure. and seemed like You're probably exhausted by that point. You're just like, I was exhausted and broke and honestly be scared me. And I had a pretty horrible reaction and it just seemed scary and weird. Mm-hmm. And I was just over that. So I didn't pursue it. I um, then went in and out of this clinic for about two years, um, spending over $160,000 of my savings until I went broke. When I went broke, uh, my veins had also given up from all of, because I'd basically been on an IV drip every day for over two years. So they had to put a port in my heart, which basically is a, um, it's kind of like a permanent IV. That attaches to your heart, so I could still keep myself alive on these drugs. And oh during my God, <laughs> I, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting
0: ill listening to your story. Sorry. No, but no, I'm no, healthy no, now. Please, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. look, she looks amazing. I'm over here oh, looking at her. But anyway, keep going.
1: Um, so, long story short, my parents came into town for the surgery, mm-hmm. and I was broke, and I needed to hit them up to start yeah, spending like- the ten thousand dollars a month to save my life. And my mom and my dad and I were sitting out, you know, at a restaurant, um, while I was recuperating Mm -hmm. and I was hitting them up saying, guys, like, I'm now out of money. I need help. And my dad said, well, it doesn't seem to be working. You're still sick. You know, like, why are we going to, I mean, not that he's, I mean, I love my father, but he's just practical and he's going, yeah, but we're going to spend $10,000 a month. What? To keep you barely alive? Like, this doesn't make sense. At that moment, a nurse from the (laughs) clinic walked in. And I pointed her out to my father in a panic saying, well, you know, she had really, really bad Lyme disease too. You should go talk to her because she's going to tell you that like, she works at the clinic now. She works full time. She has three kids, a single mom. Like if she can do it, I can do it. Right. And my dad is like, sure. She got better from this clinic. I was like, of course she works in the clinic. Yeah. <laughs> and he went up to her and he said, so I hear you got better. You know, I was sitting at this table. I was like, dad, don't bother her. Yeah. Um, and she's like, yeah. She's like, I'm, f- I'm fully healed from chronic Lyme. And he was like, you were as sick as my daughter? And she's like, oh, absolutely. I couldn't even get out of bed. And my dad is like, but how? He's like, from this clinic? Mm-hmm. And she hesitated. She's like, I'd rather not talk about it. And my dad really pushed. And she's like, look, I'm going to lose my... She's like, I'm a single mom. The clinic pays my health insurance. This is my only job. And my father said, I'm not going to get you in trouble. I want to know how you got better. And she and said, be in therapy. Oh, shit. <laughs> and my dad said, you're going to sting my daughter. Wow. And so... So then you started I, stinging. So, Well, no, I, I still emotionally was still, Scared. you know, connected to a medical doctor who was giving me these things yeah. that I couldn't pronounce and they were expensive. The and, IVs? Yeah, the IVs. Yeah. And, you know, you just... you. We're taught to rely on doctors and to take them at face value and believe that they have their best interest in mind. And so I would – I still stayed at the clinic. would still get the IV therapies. And then at night when the clinic closed, she would sting me. Within about a week, I was able to fully walk without basically falling apart. Um, Within a month, I felt ready to move back to New York City. What? Yeah, I was started within to hike a again. Month? Yeah, within a month. And uh, I knew that I wasn't ever going to go back into a wheelchair. I just knew. I, I don't know. I just knew, it. just knew. I felt clear. I felt hopeful. I felt energetic again. I mean, again, it wasn't overnight. It was just these glimpses
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the old me. And yeah. my pain started dissipating. At my worst, I ate I ate oxycodone like it was... Candy? You know, candy, yeah. I mean, wow. my pain level, I had severe rheumatoid arthritis. I could barely walk. My joints were just, oh you know, they look like elephantitis sometimes, just so swollen. Um, so, yeah, I lived on basically pain pills. And so, yeah, I started stinging. Within three months, I was ready to go back to New York. And I was dancing on tables at Sunset Beach two years later Um, well, at at that point it was probably about two and a half years later, uh, completely, completely not, I I wasn't cured, but knowing that I was well on the way to regaining my life. Yeah. Okay.
0: Let's get, let's just get, I I have this vision of you, like, like hauling around
1: like a bee, (laughs) basically like a, like a cage full of bees. Like, how do you. How do you... By the way, that was a lot easier than when I was hauling around. True. I had, when I used to have to travel, I used to have an entire suitcase of just IV bags full of medicine that had, oh,
0: to, that had to be refrigerated
1: and go through, try and go through customs with 50 pounds of liquids. Mm-hmm. You know, and <laughs> as, as... Some live bees were, have actually been much easier. It's amazing that people don't realize that bees fly on planes all the time. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just naturally? Naturally. Well They people just find themselves on the... I know people have to transport queen bees for oh, po- yeah, for, for pollination. Oh, true. Our, our farms wouldn't sense. exist without yeah. bees flying around. God, we need to protect FedEx the bees and, at all costs. All costs. At these all costs. Yeah. So,
0: so you take these bees with you everywhere you go. You sting yourself. Now, how much do you sting yourself? I don't. I am fully... Oh, you're, you're done stinging. I'm done stinging, yeah. I've stinging? been done for quite a long time.
1: Oh, quite, cool. So it's not years. something
0: you have to continue for the rest of your life. It's like no. you, you're diligent with it for a while. And yes. then
1: I go back to stinging prophylactically, basically mm-hmm. to protect myself when I'm back in endemic areas. Interesting. Okay. So like as a precautionary yes, measure. Yes, because it's a powerful antibacterial, antiviral. As long as it's in your system, you're protecting yourself from future infection. Okay. So, like this August, I went to Chesapeake Bay, Maryland. It's a really, really high endemic tick area, heavy. tick heavy. Yeah, ticks everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I just stung myself the week I was there, just to stay safe.
0: Smart. Okay. Well, you know what? Just hearing your story. I mean, as someone who's gone through, like just a fraction of what you've been through, I had like a crazy health year, which I'm I'm not even ready to talk about it yet. It's weird how when you go through something, you just like need.
1: Some, a moment, yeah. You
0: need a moment. Um, but God, just going through health stuff can be so isolating and so lonely and so scary and you get so desperate. And the funny thing is when you're desperate, you'll do anything. Oh, yeah. And that's where some of my biggest pet peeves come into play because people exploit desperation and there's all this like stuff that goes around that doesn't work that there's no data behind it there's no evidence behind it and you will spend so much money doing all kinds of stuff whether it's from you know doctors or whether it's from people who aren't doctors organic celery juice (laughs) organic yeah and so yeah we both there's a guy on instagram um if you haven't heard of him he's called the medical medium he has a massive following millions of followers on instagram Um, He's a big proponent of celery juice
1: and a big lime denier and a big
0: lime denier. There we go. Um, But there's just a lot of pseudoscience involved in what he says, but people take what he says as like the word of God without critically looking into anything. It's very weird. And then people get really defensive when you start to
1: like, there's a almost proselytization that he gives off cultish almost. And then people, I get it, you know, I think where his advantage is, is, he basically, for those of you that are not familiar, he basically tells people, stop eating crap, start drinking celery juice in the morning. He makes up all this fake, literally fake science about celery juice and what's in it and how it will help you. Yeah. But people feel better. Everyone feels better. Sure, if they because they stop eating out the crap. Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> in the morning and they drink green juice. Eat like, healthier, you're going to feel better. That's, yeah. that. I mean, that's...
0: Nothing's new about that. But exactly. trust me, the celery juice isn't curing your no, it's fill not. in the blank. Yes. Um, so,
1: yeah, there's a lot of, I think with wellness, people are getting sicker. Autoimmune disease is on the rise. Lyme disease, as we've said, has grown 600% in some areas. Do you think, and I just want to talk for a second, why do you think
0: that these things are on the rise. Why are, why are specifically tick borne illnesses on the rise? Is it climate change? Is it because they're able to live longer with these warmer temperatures? Like what is your take on that? Um,
1: well, science has shown us, you know, I don't like to, I don't like conjecture. I like science. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, there's a few factors. One is the deer population. It has grown out of control deer. Um, we had a, a natural predator, um, uh, For deer. In the last 20 years, natural Mm -hmm. predators in wooded areas in where we've now gone from, the suburbs have now gone into wooded areas, Mm -hmm. there are these natural apex predators that would hunt deer and keep their populations in control. Sure. Now they basically don't exist. So deer populations are skyrocketing. Uh, Deer can carry one to 2,000 ticks per deer. So they're basically, whenever you see a deer, you can basically know that That they are a walking
0: tick Lyme Lyme
1: disease factory.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. So I used to love deer. Now I'm just going to look at them like a
1: nasty tick infested. Well, there's just too many of them. Yeah. So, you know, it's the fact that, you know, I, I'm a huge animal lover, Mm -hmm. but you know, when you have populations that go out of control and the deer also eat a lot of um, species of plants that are actually important and they actually where eat these, these plants go? and then allow invasive species to come into play so it's not just about lime it's the deer are actually creating like they're hurting the environment all over the nation
0: but i find that that usually happens when the ecosystem's been mm. destroyed destroyed yeah. so what
1: happens to the predator is that like just a
0: loss of habitat where well, the predators we, we have... have we
1: have we have now exploded our population and built in these suburbs into these areas that used to be protected into woody areas and such. So, so it's um, a loss of so habitat scientists issue. basically say it's a loss of habitat that then uh, that caused loss of predators, then then lost then caused deer populations just, to go out of control. Yep. And then that now and the ticks then, are blowing up. And then global warming, mm-hmm. even if there's cold spells. The, to basically keep tick populations in check, you need f- permafrost in the ground for an extended period of time 30 to 40 and that's to 60 not days. Happening. Even if you have the coldest day in the winter last year, you're still getting these 50 degree days in February, these right. 60 degree days. Right. And then the permafrost is basically allowing these tick
0: populations so to go th- out of control. Those two things in combination have caused this
1: nightmare. Yeah. I had a friend who got bit by a tick as he was skiing in December in upstate New York. So that just shows that should never have happened even five years ago. And you know, what's funny
0: is like that. I, I, I really feel like the awareness isn't even there yet because when I tell people I'm like, Lyme's on the rise, like tick borne illnesses is on the rise. A lot of people are like, Oh, that's an East coast thing. Like, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's all over California. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere and everyone should be conscious of this like this is a big fucking deal and the next thing I want to ask you is because what I'm another thing I'm confused about is like I have friends who will get Lyme disease and it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal for them and then I have I've heard of other cases where my you know my friend was dating a guy who got it and he was on his deathbed why is there such a big variation?
1: Because antibiotics work as suppressives. So if your immune system oh, yeah, is strong enough, mm-hmm. it can actually get rid of... There's two things that will get rid of Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. It is your immune system and it is bee venom, in my opinion. So if you take antibiotics and your immune system is strong enough, you will be okay. Sure. But if you're part of the 20% in which either you don't, your immune you don't system... Respond is not strong enough, Mm -hmm. or else your immune system has other things going on, there's genetic proclivities to not be able to handle the endotoxin die-off, et cetera, et cetera, you will not get better no matter what you do. Unless, in my opinion, you do bee venom, which works for everyone. Totally. And that's why you started The Heal Hive, which
0: is basically your way of sharing this knowledge of starting workshops where people can go and teach themselves how to sting.
1: Well, it's a whole... The heal hive is a entire educational platform bringing together not only myself but other holistic practitioners that are all science based evidence based but using a three dimensional approach to healing because it doesn't matter if you use bee venom medicine for Lyme or if you use certain herbs for you know autoimmune conditions if you do not Look at your diet, your lifestyle, your environment. Like, let's say you're still living in a toxic mold house. You're still using endocrine disrupting, you know, chemicals on your body in terms of beauty products. There's all these Mm -hmm. things that lead into dysfunction, systemic dysfunction in the body. And if you ignore one, you're not necessarily getting back to full health. And so you'll see a lot of people say yeah, I was really sick, but now I'm back to 80%. And then you see them and you listen to them and maybe you follow them on Instagram and they're constantly having to detox or constantly having to get coffee enemas or they can't eat sugar or they can't drink anymore. And I say, if the body is healthy, you can do everything you used to do or you should be able to. So interesting. So the Heal High was built to educate people on science, evidence-based research of holistic ways to improve the body. Um, and also teach people about diet and meditation and sleep hygiene and all these different factors that go into truly being healthy and aware. Um, and we throw retreats, we mm-hmm. have digital courses and then I work with clients one-on-one and then I refer them out to our other practitioners. And we do this all under the guidance of a Harvard trained medical doctor.
0: Oh, Oh, this like gives me such joy. This oh, is what's you. needed. I'm just so happy this, that, that you exist, that this exists. Thank and you. I, I really do think that you're really going to change the way people like, you're just going to be such a helpful resource. Thank you. It's just, it's just, I really feel for people who are in the throes of it and like not knowing what to do. And it's just wonderful what you're doing. I mean,
1: my, my, I, I would say my mission with the Heel Hive is purely about empowerment. Sure. It is (laughs) the empowerment to teach people what is science and what is really going on with their bodies and how to fix their bodies in a, in a way that doesn't cause damage, but only leads to success. And the only way you can do that is one, by understanding what is going on with you. Yeah. And two, by empowering yourself to take your healing into your own hands. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good of a doctor you have, you are at you know, you are responsible for your health and the doctor's not there to make sure you're eating well. The doctor's not there to make sure you're getting great sleep. And so, you know, I think that one of the issues, especially in America is that we've all been, we've all grown up putting doctors on a pedestal Mm -hmm. and being told, as long as you, you know, you're sick, you go to the doctor, they fix it. And nowadays, especially with, you know, this growth of chronic illness, you can't just expect the doctor to fix it. You have yeah, to fix it yourself. Yeah, it's hard to keep
0: up with. I mean, yeah, I sympathize. It's it's hard for a doctor to know everything about everything, you
1: know? And, and most of them don't have the time. I mean, on yeah. average, they have five minutes to speak to a totally. patient. Totally. Yeah. And so, you know, going back to where you said, um, you know, what's the problem with people, you know, getting tested for chronic Lyme or, you know, Lyme disease or any of these chronic conditions. It's that it's not just you know, Lyme, it's also autoimmune. Damn. It's that these doctors do not even have the time to fill out the adequate amount of forms and to work with insurance companies to approve people for comprehensive lab tests. So oh. half of my job that I half of my work that I work with with clients is having to basically fight the doctors just to do a oh. adequate amount of comprehensive lab testing. And half of these doctors don't even know what these tests are. And these the tests that I look for are looking for inflammation markers. They're looking for you know really important aspects of dysfunction in a body that can tell us what is possibly going on with you know potential autoimmunity, potential Mm -hmm. environmental factors like if they're living in toxic mold. These doctors literally write me back, or I get on the phone with them. They're like, I've never heard of this test. I don't know how to find it. And then. I have to actually lead them to like the code of where to find this test. (laughs) And, you know, and it's remarkable that there's very, very few, you know, I work with hundreds of clients around the nation. There's only potentially, I think, three or four doctors I have ever met with all these clients that know what these tests are. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, why, why did you go to medical school? And the problem is medical school, it's just not comprehensive enough for our modern conditions and our modern ailments. So it's really up to the doctor to um educate themselves. To educate themselves
0: and mm-hmm. to And I bet that, you know, some of that is like, you know, if they have a family member who has it and that's just inspired them to
1: Yeah. That awareness. Know, yeah. That awareness, yeah. But then it also leads to a lot of, I think, yet again, a lot of greed. Because what happens is that when doctors are out of the insurance company system and mm-hmm. they have to be in order to spend an adequate amount of time with a patient, thirty minutes to an hour. Um, to even two hours, they then basically go off insurance and then they become private doctors. And then there's a Pavlovian response to patient care of the sicker the patient is, the longer the patient's sick, the more you can charge $500 to $1,000 <sighs> weekly to monthly as a, quote, functional integrative doctor. And the problem is is that the term functional integrative is just a term doctors give themselves. There is zero... There's zero degrees for functional or integrative. It is a term. You, so wanna, there's a lot of, you know, exploitation there as well. It, I want to ask you,
0: I'm like, do you really think that these people are this greedy and this awful? But then I'm like, of course they
1: are. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't like to, and I really mean this for any functional integrative doctors out there. I'm not, they're not all bad. I'm just saying it's a human Pavlovian response, sure, if your practice is based off of being able to charge people um and you have chronically ill people and you don't you still don't have the modality to fix them, it becomes just a human response just to it's just normalized n- normalized yeah. and then secondly, another thing that kind of sucks about being out of the insurance arena is the fact that. Even though insurance companies are evil, they also ensure that doctors don't take advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Because if a doctor is demanding seeing a patient weekly, the insurance company will put a stop to it. If a doctor is giving too much, too many antibiotics that could hurt a patient, the insurance company will stop it. Mm -hmm. However, when you're out of insurance and you're seeing a doctor privately, there is no oversight. There is, there's no, you think that there's FDA, you think there's CDC, zero oversight, so it also, I think, leads to a renegade type of um, exploitation within the chronic illness community of these doctors that have zero, there's zero, there's zero oversight. And so there can, there can be a lot of greed within that as totally. there is within any profession that has zero oversight. Yeah. I mean, I say to any doctor, if you want to start making a fortune and put your kids through the best schools. Stop taking insurance, throw functional integrative in front of your name and start charging a thousand dollars an hour oh, and, and call yourself a Lyme specialist and you oh, will and have make... a waiting list, you know, so, three months deep. Totally. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you know anything. Totally. So I want to talk about what
0: you're kind of focused on now, which seems to be your fertility. Yeah. So you've been posting a lot about that on Instagram, but I found it particularly interesting because I know very little about um, that. Fertility. <laughs> yeah, I know so little about it. It's almost embarrassing.
1: No, it shouldn't be. Most okay. women
0: don't. We're not taught it. We're not taught it. Yeah, no. like where would I learn about this? <laughs> not in school. Um, I've learned, mo- most of what I've learned has been through your post. And I found it really interesting um, that so much is connected to sleep, to your right? diet, to all this stuff. So I want to get into that with you.
1: Sure. So you know, what's sad is that there is, I think, a lot of of scare tactics with fertility. Um, but at the same time, you know, like if you wait too long, you'll never get pregnant. Yes, I at, believe that. Right. So <laughs> at the same time, there's that's also truthful. So it's 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 hard. It's it's you know it's hard to talk about fertility because there are many statistics that are facts, Mm -hmm. but there are so many statistics that go in to why women become infertile at a young age. Um, and why it's so important to understand about fertility. Um, you know, the younger you are, the more you can protect yourself. So, um, so yeah, so I didn't know actually a lot about fertility. Um, Until I started going down the path of finding myself at 40 years old. Wanting to have a baby? um, Wanting to have a baby, but also finding myself having plummeting fertility levels. So um, I started researching it and I was shocked to find that at my levels I was at, that most of the reproductive endocrinologist would basically tell me that I'd have to use a donor egg. That I could never make a a chromosome. they were just like this isn't a possibility for you. Yeah, this is an impossibility. Then I delved deeper and found out that they recommend donor eggs so you don't ruin their statistics of live births. Oh, really? Because unlike every other profession, the only profession that has to have public um, that, that that has to publicly uh, publish the results is reproductive endocrinology. Really, isn't that fascinating? Why? Why them? It's just a weird. I know it should be everyone, right? It should be everyone, but why them? <laughs> it should be. I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a bizarre um, it's a Bang. bizarre legal legal you know whatever yeah whatever <laughs> I I just I do not I do not understand why it's just for fertility, but it is. So what? So women my age many times will be led to be told that they will not make a great egg and mm-hmm. that. It, they should go for a donor egg. And then you have women that are really young being told that, you know, they're young and they're okay because they're, they're under 35 or they're at, at 35. Neither are true. What is true is that it's no matter what age you are, if your mitochondrial production is not working. If the mitochondria are basically the energy sources for your cells. Yes. If your body is infected- I know that. Yes. <laughs> if your body is infected by a chronic illness, mm-hmm. if you are have an autoimmune disease that's you know unknown, like celiac, let's say. Um, if you are living in a high stress life, you have just as much proclivity to create chromosomally abnormal eggs at 30 years old as, as you, a 42-year-old who is living clean, exercising, Mm -hmm. doing biohacking, making sure they have enough sleep. Mm -hmm. So yes, as we age, our mitochondria work less. They're less efficient. Makes sense. And then our chromosomes don't develop in the right way. And so we have less likelihood of having perfectly chromosomally perfect eggs eggs because of that aging factor. But it's not just about aging, it's really about mitochondria. And you can biohack your body to basically anti-age. And so that's what I really, really want to portray to women is that it's not hopeless. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, you know, one of my dearest friends just had a baby at 47 years old. Wow. With her own egg. And by the way, she didn't meet her husband until she was 44. So all you ladies that are single out there, like feeling like at 38, it's all over. No, it's not. I um, just talked about this on my,
0: um, the previous, one of my previous episodes, just the timeline for women and how that like can be so stressful. And you feel like there's just such a timeline for all these things. But then at the end of the day, that's not true. It is and it isn't. It is isn't and it isn't. Like there's, there's absolute like science behind the fact that your fertility declines to some degree because of. Aging and mitochondria. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: But there's ways to biohack that. There we go. Um, And really what I have learned is that the most important aspect of for all women is sleep because sleep basically feeds your endocrine system. My enemy. Right? It's everyone's enemy.
0: Oh, no. Some people are such good sleepers and I hate them. Well, you don't actually know
1: if they're good sleepers. Really? Until you actually figure out what your REM and your deep sleep is, you don't actually know... Who's a good sleeper? And who's a good sleeper or not? Ugh, I have a friend, and she's just like, I don't get it. What's your problem? Just
0: close your eyes. I'm like, what? You just closed your eyes, and you instantly fall asleep? She's like, yeah, watch. <laughs> I'm like,
1: I <laughs> want to hit you. Yeah, when I had chronic Lyme, I had insomnia for years. And just when people would say that to me, it was infuriating. Oh, God.
0: Yeah, but your your recent post about, I've always known that blue light exposure is terrible for you it's evil for everyone it's evil and i mean we're now a society that like lives through devices and so definitely an issue and i've you know i you know i was one of the first adopters of flux on my computer and like night shift i was like how do i hack my iphone to get this you know and then you made that post the other day and you were like night the night shift feature doesn't actually work simply is not enough um to make any difference and you actually need to do this cool little color filter hack that I'm going to show you how to do, which I watch this. Yes. I put it on my phone and,
1: um, it basically turns your entire screen to red light. It turns
0: your screen red and you look kind of like a freak, but it is totally helpful.
1: Do you feel like it's made a difference? I do.
0: I do. I I do think it's made a bit of a difference. And, um, another thing that I have adopted, I knew about it prior to you talking about it, but I didn't start practicing it until you also posted it. Good. Um, which is first thing in the morning, getting that morning, morning sunlight sun. on yep. my freaking eyes and just drinking a glass of water. And I just drink a glass of water, look at the sun. Good. That's <laughs>
1: awesome. And again, I feel like that works. Remember, people, I, do not look directly into the sun. It's about the sunlight hitting your like right. Just Donald Trump. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do Donald. Yeah. Um, but I,
0: I still do struggle with sleep and you know, it's been just a, like you said, with everything, it's just, it's a combination of things that yes. help me. It's exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's blue light exposure, or I mean the lack of blue light exposure, it's getting that morning sunlight. It's all of these habits rolled into one help me. Um, I'll tell if you I'm not practicing hack. all of them,
1: Then Then it goes,
0: yeah. Then it, you know, it's still really hard for me.
1: Well, I I haven't shared it yet, but another hack is actually to take a walk at sunset. It's Uh, nearly as important because it's telling your body that the light's going down. It's telling your body to start increasing melatonin. So getting that morning sunshine in the morning on your retina is really important, but also teaching your body at that the sunset sun's going down. that the sun is going down, and then you wear some red light glasses to counteract the LED street lamps, and you'll be really surprised by how um, your body just naturally adjusts. Another aspect is also sleeping cold. Do you sleep cold? No, but I have a friend who swears by this, and I am like, the data is are you there. We should sleep cold, and again, it's back hundred years ago. We didn't have heat inside our houses. We slept cold.
0: But isn't, like, pumping air conditioning into your house, like, kind of shitty? In what way?
1: Like, is
0: that bad for I mean, for bad for the anyway? environment?
1: Well, op- open a window. Okay. Sleeping at 68 sleep degrees light. or less.
0: This is literally how me and, like, my partners fight. I'm like, they're like, let's open the window. I'm like, no, the sound. And they're like, oh,
1: can't win with you. <laughs> so, yeah, so for you, you might need to either get a cooling blanket
0: mm-hmm.
1: to keep oh, you cold. Oh, that's okay. Maybe this is the, the answer. Yeah. Um, another, another sleep hack uh, for women is also you take a cold shower before you go to sleep. Okay. So what you do is you take a hot shower mm-hmm. that, spe- that you heat up and then you put the cold shower on right before, like just a second, and then you cool off before you get into bed. And that and, tells your body And that what? tells your body to produce melatonin. Because wow. it just basically hacks your way through into what would be a natural sleep cycle 100 years ago of you'd be out working in the fields, right? It'd be hot, and then the sun would drop, and then your, your body temperature body dry. drops so and it tells your body to go to sleep. I've always noticed that when if I get
0: in a hot tub and I mm-hmm. get out, yeah. that I sleep a little better. Yes. Is that it's, the same? It's exactly the same thing. <sighs> fascinating
1: unless you stay in the hot tub too long long. and then you get dehydrated and then you because i do get heavily
0: dehydrated after a hot tub
1: well another hack is to make sure you hydrate during the day and try not to hydrate right at night before
0: bed because then you have to pee which is another big issue i have
1: but like back to you know female health um you know there's a lot of things you can do there's supplements you can take like coq 10 maca to help modulate your endocrine system and to support your Mm -hmm. your egg health, your ovarian Mm. health. Um, but really it's really about sleep because our endocrine, our, our melatonin production basically informs our body of the hormones to make. And I just think that, you know, staying up and scrolling Instagram with the blue light in your face every day is, is what's going to hinder your fertility. Totally. Is there anything inherently bad about
0: take ingesting melatonin? Um, I know that your body will stop producing it if
1: you continue to do that because you're basically just just not signaling talent. your your body's like, i'm 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 cool, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You're doing all the work for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I actually am a as much as possible an anti supplement person. Yeah, I believe that if you focus on diversifying your food, eating healthy organic food, Trying to eat as much types of food. So it's not just cherry tomatoes from Whole Foods, but finding different heritage brands, every little Mm -hmm. type of diversification Mm -hmm. mixed with just, you know, taking your vitamins through food and understanding how nutrients work. Like the whole raw food thing, you know, raw foodists don't understand that actually half the vegetables you eat, in order for the vitamins to be bioavailable, they need to be cooked. They need to be cooked, yeah. (laughs) So it's just like You know, just simple science. So I say to people when they feel, oh my gosh, all of this is so overwhelming, I say the way to think about it is think about how did people eat a hundred years ago? Did Mm -hmm. people eat, you know, a hundred blueberries every day, you know, throughout the winter? No. (laughs) Did they eat like you know, were they able to um take massive amounts of nuts every day? No. These yeah, you like think about how people lived a hundred years ago and try and mimic that in a modern way and you know, you're going to actually, your health is, everyone's health is going to improve. And that means cutting out the blue light, eating a diversified diet, eating organic, you know, making sure that you exercise and, you know, reducing stress, which a lot of it is also going back to being sick and being isolated is community. Community, community, community. My friends saved my life that year.
0: Oh, I did have that community with my friends, even though it can get weird because you're like, I don't want to, constantly reach out or it can, I had a, I had a friend who wasn't a, able Available. to be there for me emotionally because it was too much for them. And it's a, it's such a tricky thing, but like, gosh, the people who do stick around, you're just like, wow.
1: No, it's like they become blood
0: relatives, right? <sighs> I would do anything for them. Like I would Sorry. do anything. They, they know that they can call me at any hour of the night,
1: you know? I think people ask me all the time. People ask me all the time, you know, what drives you? And for me, it's what drives me to do everything I do is when I was incredibly isolated, when I felt like my hundreds of friends had given up on me because I was Mm. sick and they were just confused and it was overwhelming to them and I was alone, I just said to myself, if I get better, I want to make sure that anyone who feels this way feels like there's someone out there that's advocating for them. And, you know, it's my passion. And I think that... No, you you can see that.
0: I feel like you were just like so driven because you've you've lived it.
1: I've lived it. It also becomes a curse. Like I sometimes have to really control myself. Yeah, because where's the balance for you? You're also a human. I'm out to dinner with friends. I meet their new friends and And they start telling me about their health. And I know... There needs to be hundreds of you. And I'm like, (laughs) that person's probably celiac or they probably have Lyme. And it's hard for me to control myself and not blurt out like you are sick. You need to go to the doctor right away. I mean, I scare people. It's it's a curse and a blessing.
0: (laughs) Totally. I wanted to talk to you. We were talking a little bit earlier about um, drinking alcohol hangovers. And because you had mentioned that you were a little hungover today. I was. Yes, I am. Um, And I was saying that I had really cut alcohol kind of out of my life to some degree. I still drink, but just very rarely because I get kind of depressive, anxious episodes after I drink and my hangovers will last so long. And I, I've always kind of attributed this to my age and getting older um, because, and, you know, obviously this wasn't the case for me when I was 21. Um, but it's just unfortunate because, I, you know, I do like drinking, but I have just been so much happier and more productive and more stable without alcohol, and you were just kind of talking about how you're able to avoid some of the things that I'm talking about by drinking what you call clean alcohol, and so I wanted to jump into that.
1: Well, let's first talk about a hangover. Yeah,
0: let's talk about a hangover. What so, the hell is a hangover?
1: <laughs> Basically, it is um, a soupçon, um, a, a amalgamation of a few chemical um, um Molecular dysfunction in your body because of the alcohol. One is that it raises ammonia, which can make you feel brain fogged, fatigued after. Um, another thing is that it... Um, also
0: terrible sleep.
1: Yes. Well, the sugars in alcohol will absolutely affect your sleep. Um, so you don't sleep as well. And then um, there's a dysfunction in the liver. The liver and the kidneys um, have to work doubly hard and... Um, so a lot of people don't do things to support their liver. And a lot of people have genetic mutations, especially as we grow older, to not make as much glutathione, which is a, basically a detox molecule that helps support the liver, and plummets with alcohol. Another thing that happens with alcohol that people don't realize is that especially many women are very low on B12, mm-hmm. and alcohol plummets your B12 levels. And so low B12 will lead to anxiety. So if you feel like you have anxiety after drinking, you might want to actually load up. If you're like, I have a wedding to go to, or I really want to you know, tie one on because it's New Year's, is load up on sublingual B12. Sublingual ensures, or nasal B12, ensures that you bypass the stomach, which could have absorption issues for B12. Mm-hmm. Load up on B12 and uh, take glutathione, or its precursor to in your system is NAC. And, uh, load up on that before you drink and you're going to be supporting your liver and you're also going to be ensuring that your B12 levels do not plummet. Um, another thing is, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the fact that people just don't drink clean alcohol. So what's clean alcohol? So, um, so if you are gluten intolerant, most alcohol will be made out of grains and be made out of gluten. So if you're not drinking gluten-free vodka or if you're drinking whiskey, Even trace amounts, molecularly, you know, one in 100 millionth part in um, a a martini could actually affect you. Another aspect is the fact that, you know, what people don't realize is that, you know, non-biodynamic, non-organic wine actually in America is allowed to have so many additives. They're allowed to have red dye. They're allowed to put wood chips in your wine. Sick. <laughs> they're, they're allowed to have wood chips. acetone. You know the stuff that- Yeah, that removes nail polish? That removes nail polish. Cool. So basically, so people ask me all the time, what is the difference between organic wine and biodynamic wine? Organic yeah. wine just means that it's wine that hasn't been sprayed with, with glyphosate. pesticides. Yes. Yeah. But beyond that, there's no support of whether they can add- Organic wine can still have added yeasts. Mm-hmm. You know, other added aspects to the wine that can impact and sulfites that can impact how you feel the next day. Biodynamic organic wine is literally wine that was made how it was made a hundred years ago. So they do not use pesticides, and they also allow natural fermentation in the wine. And that's really important because a lot of women, are, especially, are very, very sensitive to yeast. Mm -hmm. And so when you have these synthesized added yeast, which can be made organically, but still it's a bunch of, you know, yeast that is added to a mixture of non-organic biodynamic wine, you can also have basically a candida issue from the wine. Um, it also adds, if it's not biodynamic organic added sugar. So when you make wine the old fashioned way, which is the biodynamic aspect of it in Mm -hmm. which they handpick the grapes they stomp on them. They ferment them naturally. They allow the wine to exist as it did 100 years ago. They're not adding sulfites. Sulfites basically are, in, are naturally occurring in wine, but then they're, they add more to preserve wine, especially in non-organic wine, but mm-hmm. even in organic wine. Biodynamic organic does not have added sulfites. It's just the sulfates naturally occurring. I guarantee you, you drink clean, biodynamic organic wine, and you're going to report to me, oh, my God, Brooke. I not only feel great while I'm drinking, but I have zero hangover the next day.
0: You heard it here first, guys.
1: You <laughs> heard it here
0: freaking first.
1: I'm definitely going to try out this theory immediately. Yeah, I'm on my way this afternoon to a wine testing mm-hmm. with a very famous actress who is putting out um, a new organic biodynamic wine, and I'm going to go taste that today. So I'm so excited. Oh, cool. Just, because she has Can such you release a huge voice? the name? She's legendary. You guys will know about it very soon. Oh my gosh. Um, But she's a legendary actress and she realized that if she drank clean wine, she could drink that if she didn't drink clean wine, she would have a hangover and stop drinking. And so now she's She's on a mission. Yeah. She's on a mission to get, to get everyone to drink clean organic wine. So I'm just gonna, one thing I'm concerned about is that
0: people might listen to this, be intrigued, be inspired, blah, blah, blah. But they might say, Hey, You know, Brooke was in a financial position to get through all this stuff, to pay for all these things. If I'm born into a less fortunate situation, how can I take my health into my own hands with someone who has $20 in their bank account? Or like, how can I live this kind of lifestyle? And what do you say to these people?
1: Well, the reason I'm so... Excited, and I love the research on bee venom therapy. And I use bee venom as an example. Is that, you know, I always say the best thing that ever happened to me is that I went broke with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. The reason that I finally went to bee venom Mm -hmm. is because I could afford nothing else. Mm -hmm. I had gone broke. Mm -hmm. Um, Bees are cheap. You can become a beekeeper. You can volunteer. You can have a a community bee. It is the cheapest modality. In existence, literally fantastic. So that is one aspect, and that's why I teach it because we know that it works. We have anecdotal data of people like me, clients I work with, other people that have been healed by it. But the research is there to back it up much more than antibiotics. Sure. Um, When people say, "Oh, but it's dangerous. You could have anaphylactic shock," have you ever been to a doctor and they say, "What antibiotics are you allergic to?" No. That you haven't? Have you never been hospitalized and they ask you if you're allergic to antibiotics? It is. I have been hospitalized. Ask. They honestly, they probably asked me, oh, right. and I was like, "I don't know. We'll find out." Well, antibiotics, uh, on an average, statistically, you could have twenty percent anaphylactic shock to any antibiotic. With bee venom, it's less than one percent. Fantastic. So even that, it's safer than just pure antibiotics. So it's affordable. So and it's, it's affordable. S- safe considering. Yes. The and alters. then going into lifestyle, people say, yeah. "Oh my God, you." Eat organic, you drink biodynamic, exactly. Well, I share all the time, great biodynamic organic wineries in which you can get a beautiful bottle of wine for $22. Great. So, you know, and it's better to drink just one glass of biodynamic organic than a whole bottle of half as much $10 wine, right? Like two buck chuck from Trader Joe's, like, no, no, no. Um, But you know, a lot of people don't realize that one thing is that in most states, um, food stamps are accepted at farmer's markets. So really? if anyone says I cannot afford healthy food, please look into getting food stamps. There's no shame. When I was at my poorest and my sickest with Lyme, I was on food stamps. And so, you know, I don't come from money. I, I yeah. might look it because I work really hard and I have a husband yeah. that works really hard. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've been down and broke and had a few dollars for my name. When I started the Bee Venom Therapy and moved back to New York, I was living in my friend's closet. I yeah. had no money to live anywhere. She had a big walk-in closet. We put a bed in there, and I lived in her closet for a year while I stung myself with bees and got healthier. Um, wow. I walked her dogs. I walked my friend's dogs. I did everything I could with my still physical limitations because the bee venom therapy takes a while you know, mm-hmm. to really eradicate the disease properly. And so I've been there where you have zero money, and I made it work. And I made it work because of the fact that when I couldn't afford a air-infrared sauna, I could still borrow a friend's bath and take a Epsom salt bath. Sure. Um, I learned that farmer's markets, if you go to them at the end of the day and you get to know the actual farms, that they'll give you good deals on cheap yeah. produce. They don't want to haul back. Um, there's no excuse not to eat well. And totally. actually if you, you just have to be resourceful, you have to be resourceful and you have to understand that your best friend for health is an Instapot and for just buying proteins and vegetables. From farmers' markets, organically, and you're going to spend so much more less money. You, than, you do than buying processed. I, I think some of that quote, is um, organic food. I think it's
0: some of it's a myth, you know, or it's just like I don't have access to that, and it's like, you know, to some degrees that could that could be true, but like it really doesn't have to cost a lot of money to no. live healthily. It really and, doesn't have to, and it's unfortunate where it has been made the easier option, and that's just a problem with. Our country, you know, like I hate that fast food is so cheap. It shouldn't be that way.
1: You know what I mean? But um, it isn't. It, it's not cheap. It has a huge cost. It has a
0: huge cost when you look at it, yeah. like you know, long term. Exactly. Um, you know what you'd pay in medical bills from the heart disease or from whatever else that you're gonna experience. Like,
1: not worth it. It's not worth it. in, in, in any way, so no matter how you kind of little... cut it. No, 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 matter how little money you have, if you don't have enough money, please apply to Medicaid or Medicare mm-hmm. because your comprehensive testing will be covered. Yep. And how do you get comprehensive testing? You do the research, you look into what's going on with you and what they would test for. Mm-hmm. You start reading anyone has access to PubMed mm-hmm. anyone has access to the latest research papers mm-hmm. even the doctors love to say Google's not your friend it actually is if you use it wisely and use it judiciously to actually look at exactly what's going on and come armed. I always say if there's an issue and you're you know you feel like you're being ignored, fire your doctor. you are the client yeah go to another doctor call doctors' offices up tell them what your issue is and just say to them, hey Will this doctor treat this? Do they have any experience? If I want to get these tests done, will they do them? Mm -hmm. You are in control. You need to feel empowered. Yeah, totally.
0: Ugh. So great. God, we've already been talking for an hour and 20 minutes, and I could truly talk to you for, like, three more hours. (laughs) Because I'm like, "Mm, beauty stuff, the fires, Sonoma, your husband, forest bathing. Like, I just have... And then I actually have some questions that people... Because I posted that you Uh were going to come on my podcast and then I actually got a weird like kind of hit with all these questions um, for you. Can you tell me what works? Someone said you already specified that no other insect venom would do the same, that honeybees are, special and you listed those reasons why because their question was had scorpions or wasps or other venoms
1: well i mean other venoms have been studied for other aspects like blue scorpion venom is studied for its chemotherapeutic aspect against cancer yeah wasp venom has some aspects that are um that are similar to bees except that wasp venom does not have the melaton and the melaton is what Gets at these phospholipid layers. These are regular cell walls within the pathogenic viruses and bacteria, and basically obliterate them. So, no wasp venom. I do not recommend it. It's not beneficial on a in the way that bee venom is. Honey bee venom is incredibly um, unusual and very special. It's still not fully understood. Got it. And
0: then someone else said that they recently met someone who got Parkinson's, but by way of contracting Lyme. So there's a lot of... And that's kind of what you were touching on earlier, that if you get Lyme, then then you kind of are already predisposed to getting all of these
1: Well, any type of chronic infection, Mm -hmm. whether it is bacterial or viral or Mm -hmm. parasitical, can cause a systemic inflammation in the body that can turn on already predisposed epigenetic mutations. So if you have an (laughs) epigenetic mutation for Parkinson's, then it's going to, that on. You could possibly have on. it turned on. Another aspect though is that they're finding many people that have been diagnosed with Parkinson's, when they're finally tested for Lyme disease and treated for Lyme disease, their Parkinson's goes away. So there's a lot of overlap between Parkinson's symptoms and Lyme disease. And many times because the testing that we went through is so unreliable, people will just be diagnosed with Parkinson's. Parkinson's. <gasps> and then when they finally, then when a doctor finally a a few years later, treats them and finds a Lyme disease, all of a sudden, voila, Parkinson's is gone. Gone. It doesn't mean that there's people out there that have never had Lyme disease and they just had epigenic mutation for Parkinson's that either age, environmental factors, stress have turned on. on. But if you do have Parkinson's, you Mm -hmm. should be absolutely, you should invest into the more sensitive testing for Lyme disease to rule that out.
0: Yeah. Okay, so then... There's three more things I want to talk to you about, but we've like, we've already been talking for so long. So I'm going to let you pick unless you think you can like bullet point all three really fast, <laughs> um, forest bathing, mm-hmm. the fires. Cause I know you've been really going through it and I kind of wanted to get into that with you because your power's been off and all this stuff. Um, by the way, Brooke lives in the Sonoma area. Um, and then beauty stuff, skin stuff because you're very not anti, but you um, discourage Botox fillers for your reasons, and I and are kind of a proponent for clean um, beauty. clean beauty. Um, and so those are the kind of three things I want to get
1: you in to okay. get into. Well, I can try and go fast. Um, okay, in terms of clean beauty, yes, I Before I got sick, I was one of those people that preemptively used Botox and fillers. Totally. In small amounts, but from the time I was 20. um, It wasn't until I got sick that I realized how much of a neurotoxin Botox was. And then I started learning about collagen production. And I I started learning that basically the problem with fillers is that they're, they're molecularly more heavy than what would be naturally occurring in your skin. And so the, the force of gravity of fillers over time actually pulls down your skin and makes it heavier. Because I've always
0: thought that when, you know, like, let's take Kylie Jenner, for example. Uh-huh. She looks like, she's so young, but, but she, she kind of looks like a 30-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, And I just never quite understood it because there was no... Kind of, like, I, didn't, I didn't understand why she looked so old. You know
1: that when people, you can tell they've had a lot of fillers and their face starts to look lumpy? Yes. That's also because every single time you inject fillers, there is an automatic response in the body to microencapsulate the molecules to basically create scar tissue to protect the body from this foreign invader. So this microencapsulation is very, very small. But over time, it builds and builds. So you're basically having these small little scar tissue pockets, minuscule, right, microscopic. But over time, they build. They're very, very hard to get rid of if you can at all because the scar tissue is protecting them. So that's why people will use fillers. And I, it breaks my heart to see these young 20- and 30-year-olds, a lot of... I'm sorry, wellness bloggers that are like, I'm clean beauty, but you're like, oh, girlfriend, you are filled up to the, because you, you're about to pop. There's no transparency about it. No transparency. And the sad thing is that they don't understand this microencapsulation and this basically this, this buildup of scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So you basically have to keep adding more and more fillers because the fillers are breaking down. They're basically pulling your face down because of the heaviness. And then on top of that, the microencapsulation creates this micro scar tissue that you would then have to fill back up. And then another problem with Botox, beyond it's just neurotoxin, is that when you paralyze the muscles of the face, mm-hmm. everything falls. That's why you start seeing these girls that sure, are okay. 35, 38, and they start to have to need brow lifts right. because their brows fall. And that is one of the first things that happen when you start to over Botox or bot- use Botox at all on your forehead. Yeah. When, you know... You know there's holistic modalities. I consider microneedling a holistic modality. It is, I
0: love microneedling. Yeah.
1: Right. It is a way to increase collagen Mm -hmm. that is, um, that is non-invasive that uses the body's own protective measures to build up collagen production. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt your body is not a neurotoxin. And all it does is build, think of the skin as, as a building. And Botox and fillers are like putting heavy snow on your roof, pret- hoping that it looks prettier. Mm-hmm. But over time, it You're collapses the top. Whereas, you know, not microneedling
0: is building a foundation. And,
1: and nutrition mm-hmm. that helps collagen production mm-hmm. is building a foundation from the ground up mm-hmm. so that you never collapse the building.
0: And the cool thing with microneedling is that you can pair it with things like stem cells. Or in your case, don't you use snail?
1: I did until I or? until I got into the um, research of it. I I fell into you know it's even me that I'm a consummate researcher, but sometimes I just don't do my research, and I believed in the snail gel until I started looking at the efficacy, and it just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And then I started learning about messing messing mesenchymal, I think that's how you say it, stem cells, um, which are taken from bone marrow. Uh Those are the only stem cells that are proven to actually repair, I mean, to help support the collagen production. So um, what's interesting is a lot of people are all into the vampire facial. Um, I sure fell into it. And the problem with the vampire facial is that basically after the age of about 28, 30, you don't create enough stem cells in your body. We age out of building stem cells. So Mm. if you're doing a vampire facial and you're being sold on this high expensive PRP after 30, just say no thank you. Actually it's more like you know 25, 28 even some people. Because you you. just the amount of stem the amount of blood they'd have to take out to then centrifuge the stem cells, the amount that you make at that time, would I mean it just would be too much. It would be too much. Yeah. Yeah. So you just can't concentrate it enough. So that's why using, you know, basically Created stem cells in a laboratory that are based off of bone marrow stem cells are actually what is effective and not PRP. So you, ladies out there, guys out there, you can save yourselves about a good $1,000. Any place that sells you on PRP microneedling knows better. They're taking their your money because it costs them about $5 to... Just to spin that, that, spin that centrifuge, mm-hmm. It seems like a whole big deal. It seems like science, you mm-hmm. know, but at the end of the day, it actually is not helping you. So save your money, save, you know, keep your blood where it is. Okay. Yeah. Great. So we got through that. Yeah. Okay, great. Forest bathing go. Um, <laughs> what's amazing is that there's aspects of trees that they give out, um, they give up molecules mm-hmm. that signal to other trees, but to our bodies. They signal to our bodies to basically increase the immune system. I just listened to the best
0: podcast on just this. On forest oh, bathing? It, it, on for this forest bathing and what it does for your immune system. And then the, they studied like the the blood or what did they study afterwards?
1: And Probably cytokine and inflammation markers.
0: Yes. And, and it was just blew my mind that yes. your immune system was like literally improved by like 50% after like a three day weekend in the woods or?
1: Well, actually the, 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 the raised, um, Japan has done a lot of studies because they have a history of forest bathing. It's Mm -hmm. a thing there. And so they wanted to study it. And what they found is that by spending just one day in the woods gives you a full week of increased immune response. Um, spending two to three days camping would give you a full month. So if you think about this, if you just go to the woods, for every one one weekend out of the month, you are basically giving your body, it's boosting like your immune insurance. system. It is health insurance. Natural as health insurance. And beyond just the immune aspect, we now know that literally green, like the color green, reduces our stress level. Mm-hmm. That just being in the woods itself, the, it, from it, the it, colors it, I mean, to the... I don't need
0: to see any science to know that. After I get back from nature, I feel unbelievable. My problems feel so small. Like all of that... It's just you can feel it. it oh, you yeah. can
1: certainly feel it. Absolutely. And you know, again. Except look out for ticks on your hike. <laughs> yes, you always have to be tick aware and always tick check. <laughs> but I mean, I lived in Prague for uh, a year and I was I studied that... abroad in Prague. You did? Yeah.
0: Jacques Emash, Dobry Den. Dobry I don't know if I said that. I took intensive check. You can't um, tell, though.
1: <laughs> so uh, she said, What is your name?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes and much. Um, and then good day. Good day. Dobry den.
1: Yeah. Um, so basically what I was shocked to find when I lived in Prague was that every weekend people would get on these trains mm-hmm. and go to the forest. Mm-hmm. And the Czech government had built these huts in the forest for people to literally go forest bathing. And it I was a it. thing that everyone did on the weekend. And for me coming, I was too
0: busy in clubs in Berlin. I was like in college and I was like... What is this life? Right? I mean, you just,
1: you don't realize just how much of what we're now, research is now proving to be helpful for our immune systems, for our body, for stress has been utilized in cultures for millennials. For a long time. Um, So yeah, I just say, go back, go back to think about how your great grandparents lived and just do what they did.
0: Oh, anyway, um, if you're not just completely in love with Brooke after hearing this, which I'm sure you are, like, you have to follow her on Instagram and you need to fall everyday expert. And then the heel hive is that's the handle for that. Yep. the heel hive. And, um, I'm just so excited to see what happens with you in the future. And this has just been so informative and inspiring. And, um,
1: just thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. And for <laughs> anyone listening, please do not think you can just sting yourself with a bee oh, There's yeah. safety <laughs> protocols in place. So bee venom is safe, but please call me before you sting yourself.
0: Right. Yeah. So just like with anything, it has to be done properly. Exactly. Um, and yeah. And hit up Brooke for anything bees, for anything bee related. <laughs> Thanks Paige. All right. Thank you. Bye.